and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we're recording for Contrarian's Corner for New Moon, part two of the Twilight Saga. Hello, and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend and co-pilot down the path, the universe of the contrary. And we are here today for part two in our Twilight deep dive. Uh, Our patrons already have covered the first Twilight with us, and now for uh, all listeners, for our main feed, as we say, we're here today to discuss 2009's Twilight New Moon, which, coincidentally enough, uh, premiered on a new moon in the lunar cycle on November 16th of 2009. You're making that up. There's no way that happened. Uh, According to this uh, little piece of trivia I'm reading right here. Uh, the film's American premiere, of course, you couldn't fucking align all the stars globally, but... Uh. <laughs> the powers wielded by Chris Weitz were just beyond anything we could imagine. Intergalactic. They were the precursor <laughs> to Thanos in the, the film industry. Uh, but yes, we are once again joining Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, and unfortunately a whole lot more of Taylor Lautner as we <laughs> continue... Through the record-breaking or record-holding, I don't know what you would say. This, how much money did this movie made? Seven hundred ten million dollars on its own. I'm curious in total what the Twilight franchise made, but uh, an extremely lucrative and uh, very pleasing for all business sides involved venture that was the Twilight film uh, saga. November twentieth of two thousand nine was its official release date. Uh, a budget of $50 million, and as I mentioned, a staggering box office return for the second entry in a franchise of five films at $710 million. Ooh, there's an extended cut that's eight minutes longer than the one we watched. <laughs> that's where you get to see what Edward was doing while this movie was happening. <laughs> uh, something that I think you or I would have been able to pretty much anyone would be able to deduce. Uh, but uh, it is worth calling out that this movie was greenlit one day after twilight opened in 2008. (laughs) Robert Pattinson was about to sign up to be the Batman, And then he had to scrap those plans that, you know, it was 2008. So word wasn't quite as fast as it is now. It's pretty fast, but I just imagine, you know, Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, the execs from Summit, just all in like a fucking war room, big mound of cigarette butts in the ashtray, stale pot of coffee on, and then someone just runs in. We got the we got the numbers. We're gonna make it. Because ah! I God, I can't imagine what the Midnight's Alone did for that. But yeah, this we were well on our way for this taking over and dominating the market. You know, for its audience. For when was the last one? Was that 2012? I, I don't know. When's the last one come out, Julio? Um, if they did them like yearly? No, they didn't do them yearly, right? So it looks like Breaking Dawn Part 2. Yep. They were banging these out each year. They had to have filmed the Eclipse at the same time they did New Moon because that came out seven months later. My God. Alex, a little known secret. They they Lord of the Rings this thing. All Good. five, back to back. That's how much faith they had in it. 
that's got to, if this is what you're doing, that's got to be the way to go. I mean, yeah, it's probably exhausting, but, you know. Well, they, they had to finish them before uh, Taylor Lautner's voice changed. You know, they had to do it before he hit puberty. <laughs> Feeling sick? Maybe you need to go to the hospital. You want me to put you in the hospital? Jake, Jake, Jake. Dealing with the original Twilight, we came with a 49% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Coming into New Moon, we're going down uh, several pegs as we're rocking a, a stark 29% for this one, making it the second lowest rated in the franchise. The uh, lowest rated is Breaking Dawn Part 1. Because that's what you get for breaking <laughs> one book into two movies. That is that is how we protest. Not by not going to watch the movie, but by giving it a low score on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> That'll teach them. So, Julio, for this episode of The Contrarians, as we tackle Twilight, I think we should go ahead and explain what it is listeners can expect. Because who knows? With the following like Twilight, someone could be listening to this for the first time. Uh, here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times accompanied by that uh, trademarked logo, certified fresh, and make a case for maybe why that high rating doesn't tell the whole story of the movie. Maybe some of the uh, overrated acting, uh, lazy direction, questionable storytelling choices, maybe some things that critics just kind of swept under the rug. Uh, We'll call those out. Conversely, We'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated, usually about 30% and below, one of those nasty green splotches known as Rotten, and as you would guess, we'll make a case for the positive merit in that film. Find some uh, bold direction, good score, good soundtrack, interesting acting, uh, things that you know weren't properly celebrated, uh, all in an attempt to say that those Rotten Tomatoes scores don't always tell the whole story about the movie that you're talking about, uh, the movie du jour, uh, and also that, you know, this shit is subjective. You can be as over the moon and optimistic about something as you want to be, uh, or you can truly set your mind and heart to it and be as just downright cynical about uh, anything as you, you really want to be. Uh, that all goes to comprise part one uh, of our episodes, the first half which we call Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie we're discussing, in this case, Twilight New Moon, they just have to tune into part two, the second half of the episode. That is correct. The second part of every episode, aptly titled Real Talk, is where we tell you how we really feel, uh, how we experience a movie without worrying about the tomato meter score. It's, it's, it's real, and it's talk. It's real talk. This is where, also, I will find out how Alex feels about this movie, because we... Never seen it before. Alex and I were familiar with the franchise. I'd seen the first Twilight before. This has been covered on our Patreon channel. But this is brand new territory. And look, for those of you who aren't patrons, I'll tell you this. We finished that that episode on Twilight, both agreeing that we were pretty curious to see where this was going to lead. We really wanted to see what happened in New Moon. And now mm-hmm. that is in the past. We both watched New Moon. I, I just can't wait to find out what my co-host has to say uh, when we're not trying to go against the tomato meter, but just being real. And, and I'm sure he's curious about my own thoughts. And Julio, the entire reason we're diving in, dipping our toes in the the twilight water, we're cliff diving, in fact, into the, the waters <laughs> of twilight. Oh, the be- adrenaline. Is because of uh, one of our delightful, wonderful, tremendous patrons uh, who has... Put not only uh, one of the entries, but the entire franchise at our feet and said, dive in, boys. <laughs> Do it. Just just have at it. Enjoy this, this five-meal course. Uh, yes, Zoe Perez, social media guru extraordinaire and patron. She does it all, including uh, making us watch these movies. And she graciously agreed to do something for those of you who are somehow not familiar with the first movie in the series. Here's Zoe giving us uh, previously on Twilight, where she's going to recap the events of the first movie so that we're all on the same page going into New Moon. Hey guys, Zoe here, the contrarian social media guru. If you missed our last Patreon episode, I'm here to tell you all about the beginning of Alex and Julio's journey into my favorite teenage romance story, which happens to involve some vampires, some werewolves, some moody teenagers. That's right, you guessed it. We're covering the Twilight Saga. 
If you haven't seen Twilight, here's a quick summary. Bella Swan, played by Kristen Stewart, is a teenage girl from Arizona who moves to Forks, Washington to live with her father. On her first day at her new high school, she is introduced to a mysteriously beautiful family named the Cullens. After many awkward and confusing encounters, she starts a relationship with a boy named Edward Cullen, played by Robert Pattinson. And almost immediately, she finds out that he's in a family full of vampires. Though they don't drink human blood, she is thrown into a dangerous world that her and the Cullens have to now navigate with their new human edition. Now to talk about the actors, I have no idea what's going on with Robert Pattinson and Kristen at the beginning of this movie. They're very awkward and have no confidence in their acting, it feels like. I have no idea what type of accent Robert's trying to do in the first half of this film. And as Julio described it, Kristen is just a meme throughout the entire movie. Thanks, you guys, so much for listening. I am very excited that The Contrarians decided to cover The Twilight Saga. Like I said, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I can't wait to see what's coming up. Thank you, Zoe. Uh, Alex, not to go into real talk too much, but I was actually kind of shocked. Not shocked, but maybe uh, taken by surprise when after we recorded the first installment of this for Patreon, I was texting with Zoe. I was telling her that we just finished, and I realized as the conversation was going on that she was a big fan of the franchise. <laughs> mm. she, so, I, I mean, you know, noticing like, oh, well, she likes it, she doesn't like it or whatever, but it's like, she's really into it, whether it's like a guilty pleasure or not, uh, which, sure, like, you know, we have other people that listen to the show. Katie from Katie and Oti uh, <laughs> comes to mind that actually, you know, they seem to be familiar with the movies and I don't know how much of it, of them they like and how much of them they just kind of appreciate as part of pop culture. But I am suddenly like a little more aware of how much uh, how much is writing on this project? <laughs> <laughs> so we have to do it justice, Alex. We have to do New Moon, Eclipse, Breaking Dawn. Uh, we have to we have to do right by them. We'll try. And just before we get started here, I do want to mention, uh, as we've said several times already, the first Twilight has been covered extensively by yours truly over on our patrons. So if you are a first-time listener, uh, just due to your love of the Twilight franchise and want to know what we think about how it kick-started, head on over to our patron and you can take a listen to that for just $1. Uh, Patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. Uh, we'll get into a full patron plug later on. I just wanted to get that out of the way, Julio, since fresh listeners would be kind of jumping in with, uh, we're already in the pool waiting for them. <laughs> yes, we're at the bottom of the cliff waving at them. Yes, we we just are our ghosts. <laughs> yeah, our ghosts are just kind of wandering about. Uh, all right, so Twilight, New Moon. We haven't yet kind of come across. Uh, I don't know if critics at this point were already repulsed at the idea of this. For some reason, <laughs> I get the idea that we're going to get more into that and in like the Breaking Dawn. Well, I mean that sincerely. It's like any franchise like this that makes a shit ton of money and has a predominantly youth based uh, fan base tends to annoy critics. I always cite uh, Roger Ebert's scathing promo on Friday the 13th Part 4 about the geniuses at Paramount and shit like that. So Necessary. Any, exactly. Overkill. I'm not sure if you've come across anything like that, but I am curious what you found in the way of uh, critical reviews of New Moon. Well, Alex, it's a weeknight, and there's like over 300 reviews of uh, <laughs> New Moon, so... So I, I kind of, I glanced through them, but I didn't do a deep dive. Ha ha, there it is again, uh, into what critics had to say. But I, I have some interesting quotes here. Uh, so a rotten quote from Maddie Lucas from The Dispatch, Lexington, North Carolina, who says, Two hours and ten minutes of rambling, pointless drivel where nothing of any real interest happens. Is that hateful enough for you? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty... That's someone who's already over it just in the second movie. Yep. <laughs> I wonder how Maddie Lucas felt when he uh, heard that they greenlit the next movie in the series. <laughs> next, Began Basham from World says, Suicidal tendencies have been a classic feature of romantic tales since time immemorial, but they are hardly a good model for tweens and teens. Uh, but I mean, they're not glorifying suicide here. No, yeah. <laughs> I think the extent of like the suicidal tendencies in this are, oh, I just love him so much. I can't live without him. But it's not like at any point. Uh, she she didn't like take out uh, an elliptical bike and tape a butcher knife to the middle of it. <laughs> yes. I mean, I would argue the characters here are actively trying to prevent suicide. Yeah. Like Bella 
makes a climatic run to stop Edward from killing himself. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, other people save Bella every time she does something stupid. So, no, I don't think the, the argument holds water, Miss Basham. And I think um, it's important to call out Bella is 18. She's still in high school. She's emotionally unstable like all high schoolers. Yep. Yep. Next, Christopher Smith from Bangor Daily News, Maine, says, Had the audience at my screaming, heaving, and sighing so often? Here's a recommendation. Bring an oxygen tank. You'll need it and a mask, particularly in the presence of so much heaving and sighing and busy shirtlessness. I mean, the mask comment certainly reads a different way now. Yes. I mean, this guy must have hated Titanic and pretty much every other movie that has elicited strong reactions. Like... It's never bothered me. Has it ever bothered you when you're watching a movie and, and the audience is really into it, especially if it's something like romantic and there's like you can hear the sniffles and the the sighing? Because I always I always feel like that enhances the experience. Agreed. This guy's just a grump. Except for when we went and saw Dawn of Justice together and uh, when Wonder <laughs> Woman showed up and people started clapping, our friend Reed turned around and said, don't applaud that. <laughs> he is like, don't encourage them. And, and yeah, indeed. They were encouraged to release (laughs) more of that. Um, All right. And finally, we're closing with Dominic Power from SFX Magazine, who says, if this is the world's next generation of womanhood, that's a century of female emancipation down the drain. Belle is more likely to polish her chastity belt than burn her bra. (laughs) God. Belle is down to have sex. I'll point that out right now. There's no chastity belt around She's playing two dudes here. She's completely playing both of these guys. Yeah. Dominic, I mean, is he just frustrated that they never actually get it on? Because, I mean, we have three more movies to go. So it's called uh, building up to it. Of course, another man telling women how to feel. Mansplaining female emancipation. (laughs) (laughs) Mansplaining how women are supposed to act when pitted against a vampire and a werewolf. (laughs) Just fuck him already. It's still my birthday. So I ask one thing. Kiss me. So, Twilight New Moon, we start off not far from where we left off. We have this wild dream sequence going on. It's just it it's like a music video. It's just flashing all over the place. And come to find out it was just one of Bella's crazy dreams. Uh, And it's her birthday. She's turning 18. And the first person we see, besides Kristen Stewart, is someone who I warmed up to very quickly in our first viewing, uh, Billy Burke, who plays Charlie Swan, Bella's father and the police chief in Forks. Yeah, he's he's the ultimate uh, small town sheriff, I guess. Wonderful mustache. Yes, yeah. The mustache to begin with, uh, single parent, you know, just doing his best. And there are these wildly supernatural things happening around him, and somehow he always misses them, <laughs> which is adorable. <laughs> There's werewolves and vampires running laps around him, and he's just like, I got to take care of my daughter. <laughs> got to figure out who my daughter is dating. It's a, he's really good. Like That kind of character can be, I guess, frustrating. Uh, maybe if he was driving more of the story, but here, because he's just wisely kept on the sidelines, every time he shows up, I'm just like, I hope nothing happens to him. <laughs> more than anybody else in the movie, in the two movies so far, I think that Billy Burke is the one that I'm the most concerned about when, when bad shit's about to happen, because he doesn't even know. You know, Everybody else kind of knows what they're getting into. Uh, mm-hmm. But he is just... It doesn't matter if he has a gun or not, because he's not going to see it when something happens. And I'm afraid, just because of just the conventions of storytelling that Charlie's not going to make it to the end. Are you afraid like me? <laughs> Are you fearing oh, for yes. this man's life? Dude, yeah. And especially as like a connoisseur of horror movies and shit like that. I'm, I'm shocked he's made it thus far. <laughs> we already had a close call in the first movie. And uh, I mean, this one all, even closer, it could have been him, but instead they got the other guy that was with him. So, mm-hmm. oh man, Charlie, let, let's hope that your luck holds out. The movie starts just like we're at a normal spot here. As we go to school, Anna Kendrick is quickly introduced. Uh, Ed, Big Ed, gets a big entrance here. Like he's he gets his like WrestleMania entrance. He comes pulls in <laughs> in his car, parks sideways across three parking spots, gets out, walks away in slow mo. It feels like 
a teeny bopper sequel would start off and that's you know it feels like american pie 2 or some shit like that and that there's nothing wrong with that because that's what this is it's they they know who their audience is and yep they're setting the stage but then fucking taylor lautner has to show up (laughs) were you happy i'm sure you were as happy as i am that this movie confirmed that he was a piece of shit like we didn't get enough in twilight the in the first movie to really tell you know, he has like two, three scenes in that movie. Well, this is the Taylor Lautner show. Yeah, we get the full second act of Taylor Lautner, and he just kept getting worse and worse, and I felt vindicated. I was like, there was a reason I didn't like him in the first movie. <laughs> yeah, agreed. And uh, he doesn't go to school there, but he shows up to say hi to Bella and gives her something for, oh, it's a dream catcher for her birthday. You don't just give a dream catcher to some other dude's girlfriend. Dude, right in front of him, too. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually the pleasantly surprised by how uh, how mature Edward was about it. He just kept his distance and then kind of made a joke about it later. But that was it. Like he didn't pick a fight with Jacob. I have a feeling that that we're gonna see them fight at some point in the next three movies, though. We're getting close. We're, we're, <laughs> we're getting inching it. towards it. It's fucking Freddy versus Jason. We have to wait fifteen years for it to come to fruition. <laughs> so Bella and Edward are in class, and he begins explaining about who they answer to in Italy, the, the Vittori, uh, headed by Wesley Snipes, Michael Sheen. He has some, did you recognize him right away? In that oh painting? yeah. Yeah. Even with the evil wig on. Yeah. I mean, I knew he was in this and I knew he held like some position of power. Uh, so I just started laughing when it cut to him. <laughs> what, um, what's his name? Oh, Oro, Oro, Ori, o- Ori. Oh, o- o- Otho. Uh, the, <laughs> The leader of an ancient Italian vampire coven known as the Voltori. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) They're based in Italy, and it's who they answer to, it's who they go to. They're like the fucking um, Jedi Council, pretty much, for vampires. And it does show what they do when people are are deemed no longer necessary, or they, you know, vampires tire of immortality. It's pretty metal. They, like, rip their head and limbs off. It's pretty fucking crazy. Uh, this was a, a a really important moment in the movie for me because it really made it added a dimension to Edward's character, and it was a dimension that was opposite Bella's mm-hmm. because we left last movie and we started this movie with Bella still convinced that she needed to become immortal. You know, her dream at the beginning is her worried about what's going to happen when she ages normally and Edward continues to be young. You know, she looks like Aunt May in her dream and Edward still looks like like Robert Pattinson. So she wants immortality. That's what she's dreaming about. And then here, this is a conversation where Robert Pattinson is telling her that every now and then he daydreams about how to kill himself, <laughs> just going to the Volturi and having them rip his head off. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, it's like the, the opening act of the movie. And it's telling you, they, this couple wants very different things from life. <laughs> this is where their respective minds go when when they're just along with their thoughts. Uh, that was really good. It, it This movie's weird in the sense that, you know, we're getting close to a part where Robert Pattinson is going to be written out of the movie for the bulk of it. But even then, before he goes, they really make sure to set up powerful stuff for when he comes back. Yeah, he, he's going to be out of here pretty quickly. It's kind of a bummer. It's a Wes Craven-style opening here. As we celebrate Bella's birthday with Edward's family, she tries to open something and gets a paper cut and bleeds. And as you can imagine, it causes uh, a fright. As Is it his brother, the blonde one, tries to... Jasper. Jasper. Jess. Jess. It's okay. It's a lesser bender kid. Sucka. He's not Ong. He's, you know, to- <laughs> That's right. Uh, but this makes Edward realize how just fucked up the situation is that he's dating a a human woman and shit like that will happen. And I'm sure at some point he considers that once a month that blood is abound. So <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, yeah, that moment where every teenage boy realizes that that's in the additional eight minutes in the extended version. <laughs> Is the dilemma of the menstrual cycle. A very serious conversation about menstruation between uh, Kristen Stewart and Mike Dexter. (laughs) You're a doctor, right? (laughs) What do we do about this? Um, No, this is, dude, this is the first time so far in the franchise that I felt creeped out. That is when she cuts her hand and then Robert Pattinson pushes her out of the way, which causes her to crash into a desk and 
cut her arm and she's bleeding profusely. And then she looks up and there's what six vampires just staring at her. <laughs> and I didn't know, so I'm assuming that she didn't know that all of them weren't just going to go into a frenzy and try to kill her instead of just yeah. uh, Jasper. And uh, Chris White, the director, like he holds for at least a second, kind of like to make you doubt. And then slowly everybody goes back to normal and they take away Jasper. And, you know, Mike Dexter, easily, I want to say my favorite Colin. He's, right now, and I know we'll do like a, a full-on ranking of the Colins by the time we're done with this series. But right now I want to say Mike Dexter, Carlisle, he's at the top because I like how he keeps his cool. With Alice being uh, second place, just because I guess we got a lot of Alice in this movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody else still has to catch up on as far as screen time, but... Mike Dexter, I think it's a he. He's earned respect from me uh, for the way he handled the situation. <laughs> he seemed just pretty, pretty cool. I mean, granted, I guess he's been doing this for longer, but just the fact that he didn't even think about <laughs> tasting Bella's blood—that was pretty impressive. He seems like you know, kind of like we are with a lot of things that entertain youth today. It's just kind of like, eh, seen it, been there, done that. <laughs> I don't need it. <laughs> They'll grow out of it. Yeah, exactly. But this does significantly trouble Edward, and issues are mounting with his family, and he has to explain to Bella that they have to go away. He even tells, he's like, Carla, my dad is looks 10 years younger than he's supposed to be. People are starting to ask questions, that type of thing. So, uh, Who asks those questions? I know. In a movie like this, like where like he's a high school student, and that's what they're worried about. Like Robert Pattinson's... <laughs> 17 or 18 or whatever he's supposed to be and they're worried about his oddly youthful father but they gotta go so they take off and they won't take bella (laughs) no yeah she's you know says when you say we and he's like not you (laughs) this is a robert pattinson you know doing the breakup for her own good i belong with you You don't. I'm coming. Bella. I don't want you to come. I think that both sides, it, it rang genuine, you know, because, and of course, we have the benefit of seeing it from, from outside the box. So I could tell that he he was hurting as he was saying it. And I could tell that Bella was believing every word because she's, She's younger and she's just, you know, she's emotionally invested. So when he says, I don't love you in a very like unrealistic manner to me, I know that to her, she it's realistic. So everything made sense. And this was a heartbreaking, like when, uh, is it Harry and the Hendersons? When they, <laughs> they, they need to yeah. like Bigfoot to go away. So they like throw rocks at him. <laughs> like go. That's, yeah. That's 30 rock. Also, there's an amazing play they do off that. Get out of here. We don't love you anymore. <laughs> Yeah, but that's yep. basically what they do. <laughs> that's that's what happens here. It's heartbreaking for two reasons. Because, you know, I was kind of... They were growing on me as a couple. And also because that means that Robert Pattinson leaves the movie. Which is obviously, for someone like me who's a big fan of his, a bummer. Because it just then opens the door for <laughs> way too much Taylor Lautner and his crew of shirtless fools. But we knew it was coming. Uh I understand, like you, because it's all we talk about contrast in movies and storytelling a lot in this show, and it makes sense, right? That you have kind of like an all-star team playing for the Colin side. So for the for the how to say for the black side, but no, because it's Jacob Black, but they're they're not all family. They're like I guess for the Wolf side, mm-hmm. you have a bunch of unknowns. I guess it makes sense, but it's also unfortunate for them, right? Because. It's not just Robert Pattinson that left. Mike Dexter leaves. Uh, Ashley Green leaves. Yeah, the Collins just pack up and leave. Yeah, they leave the movie. And now we, we're just like with a bunch of new people. And to their credit, like it doesn't kill the movie. It just, it's such a gear shift that I can understand mm-hmm. how at this point, this is where I think some people turn on, on the movie. Because if you've invested, let's say, you know, counting the first movie, about two and a half hours of your life on the Bella and the Collins story to suddenly take this hard left into the Bella and Jacob and the Wolf story, that can be disorienting. I think that if you stick with it, it pays off. But that means that you have to stick with it and you have to kind of like put up with Taylor Lautner faking that he's a good guy. 
it's so funny to me that him and his whole gang of miscreants just roam around town shirtless and everyone's just like, okay. <laughs> they can't wait to show you their abs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, if I looked like that, I, I would probably never wear a shirt, so I could respect, respect the hustle. Uh, she's very just crushed, though, by Edward's absence. We get a pretty dope um, spiraling shot of her just staring out the window as multiple months pass by. And uh, her trying to reach out to Alice, she has the line of the, you know, I feel like he was never here because he's gone, but the pain is a reminder that he was very real. Pretty good soundtrack, too, kicks in, in here at this point. Um, she's trying to just convince her dad that she's getting better because her dad tries to send her back to Florida with her mom. So she goes out for like a girl's night out with Anna Kendrick. This is, I, I loved this part. They go to see like a zombie movie and then we mm-hmm. get... 30 seconds of just like the Anna Kendrick show where she's delightful. Yeah, exactly. Being what we've come to know and love about her. This is the same year. She, she would be nominated for an Academy award. That movie did not make $700 million. (laughs) But does that mean that she's going to get a lot more to do in eclipse? I hope so. Either that, or it'll be much lessened because you know, her role started picking up. Uh, So up in the air came out in December, got a wide release in America for that, prestigious award season so eclipse was probably already well yeah but the point is new moon was still in theaters when that came out so she was just like tearing it up at the box office <laughs> you want you want artsy prestige anna kendrick or do you want just blockbuster mainstream anna kendrick take your pick yeah eclipse she'll be billed as academy award nominee and above taylor Lautner. yeah she'll be billed as that and Kristen stewart will be an mtv movie award best kiss nominee <laughs> Dude, that kiss on her birthday, her and Edward, that was more sexual than some sex scenes that we've covered in this show. They they go for it. Yeah, that's got to be nominated for the Ruffalo uh, in a couple months. There's some movies like this you watch and you just see the chemistry, and then you can judge by the way the actors kiss if they fucked or not. In this case, we know <laughs> they did, but it's like, even if we didn't have that knowledge, be like, yeah. they The Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper thing, it's like... <laughs> This is pretty clear. Sometimes you don't have to kiss. Sometimes you just have to play the piano together, I guess. And sometimes you have to kiss. Yeah. Yeah. That was intense. It's supposed to be a metaphor for consumerism because don't be so pleased with your own like self-reverential cleverness, you know? So Anna Kendrick goes on this, you know, monologue about the meta aspect of movies and, you know, character tropes and stuff. It's pretty funny. I, I genuinely, if you've never seen that, you know, I don't know if it's isolated on YouTube, but it's a really funny scene. Um, Bella sees a biker, a gang of bikers that reminds her the first time, you know, Edward saved her. So she goes and tries to ride on the bike with one of them and the adrenaline of it makes her like hallucinate and see Edward. So now she's addicted (laughs) to the rush because it lets her see Edward. So she's just, she needs it. The rush is the only thing that can get him. I mean, we've all done stupid things. Oh yeah. That's how you handle a breakup sometimes. My next note here just says fucking Taylor Lautner. Because he shows back up and (laughs) they begin spending time together because he's, you know, a handyman and she buys some shitty broken down dirt bikes that he helps her repair. They spend some quality time together. They're starting to get to know each other better. Uh, If you're older than fucking 16 or 17, you can see pretty clearly that Jacob's the rebound. Like she's just, she needs a male (laughs) companion and this chiseled boy off the reservations doing the trick for her so and he's exactly the opposite of uh edward so it makes sense you know that's that's mm-hmm. usually how rebounds work somebody that's not at all like the person that you had to break up with and so edward was dark and brooding and torture and jacob is just kind of like wide-eyed and just like puppy dog i'll just follow you everywhere and i'll wait for you forever and all that stuff so i don't like him but i understand that storytelling wise it makes sense I was just glad, as I said, that eventually, you know, it's not like he stays like this forever. At least they, they had a few twists to make him, to make him, to make his character match the instant dislike that his presence was just eliciting from me. They get the bikes up and running. They take them on a trail. Bella, of course, like a junkie, as soon as it's ready to go, she just jumps on it and fucking guns it so she can see Edward. Ends up crashing, taking a pretty good spill she got some color i put my notes here that you know it's not john cena umaga levels of blading but uh she (laughs) she definitely had a good cut on her head and uh 
Jacob comes up to help her and fucking, you know, in lieu of a rag, he takes his shirt off to like dab her forehead. <laughs> yep. And this reminded me of there was this fucking guy I worked with at the theater in Denton. So this might have been around the time of Twilight. You know, I was a lot thinner then. I've never had abs or like I was I've never been in something that I would call like peak physical shape. So I was never really one, like even when I was thinner, I never really took my shirt off at the pool or anything like that. So I never really got, or I was always envious of guys that had abs and pecs and shit and could like at the pool show that off. But I also thought you were an asshole if you took your shirt off and showed your body off in like an inappropriate or just unnecessary situation. Uh And this guy, do you remember uh, how timing cards worked in projectors? The like actual film projectors, there were those cards that you had to tune correctly they would be timed to spin the platters at the right speed to feed into the projector yeah so if they weren't tuned correctly um they're really easy to do i still have a the tool you use (laughs) here's how pretentious it is i have a timing card and the tool you use to tighten it and speed it up uh on my criterion shelf because it's like this is where film lives in my home uh but (laughs) while the movies are going if it's not timed correctly it could cause a delay or too fast and either way could cause what's known as a brain wrap or feed the film too quickly and it ends up on the floor and shit like that so you can do it while a movie's playing but the thing is you if you touch a timing card while a projector is running you're going to get electrocuted because it's like basically live wire that's running so anyway it was a change overnight, and it was like me and this other guy and some of the gals we worked with and the girl I was canoodling with at the time were all up there, and uh, we needed it. Like, projectors would also store spare timing cards, so we needed to get one out because one was, like, completely shot to do, like, a live change while this movie was going on. I'm getting to, like, the point of the story here. So this fucker... <laughs> I can't wait for somebody to take their shirt off. Yes, this asshole, because he, you know, had shaggy blonde hair and a little soul patch and abs and shit, and was trying to snog the girl I was talking to at the time. We're there, like, trying to figure out what to do. He takes his shirt off so he can take it out and not get electrocuted. Like, he wraps his shirt around his hand to pull the timing card out. And then, like... <laughs> and then just, like, left his shirt off for, you know... A couple minutes until the the project was done, so to speak, and then put his shirt back on. And I was just like, what an asshole. And that's immediately what I thought of when Jacob did this. I was like, I was already on Team <laughs> Edward, but this little gesture of his just to show off his his rock hard abs and his dynamite areolas, as Dr. Dorian would say, I was just like, <laughs> fuck this guy. Team Edward all day. Uh you can pull it off. I think that some people are charming enough that they can pull off the this like where you believe that they're not taking their shirt off to show off, but just like take their shirt off because they feel more comfortable <laughs> not yeah. wearing a shirt. Uh, that's not the feeling you get from Jacob. I think it's like I think that's good filmmaking, good casting, I guess, because we're not really supposed to trust Jacob, even though on the surface this story is telling us that it's telling us that no, he's a good kid, he's a good guy. He's treating her wound. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy who gets rejected for prom and the first one asks Bella out again because she's trying to, you know, mingle with her friends again. And so she's Wasn't like... Wasn't he dating Anna Kendrick, though? What happened? I don't remember. I mean, he went to prom with Anna Kendrick. Zoe, catch, catch us up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Explain this to me. Zoe, Katie, any other Twilight fans? Like, is this what happened with the eight minutes? Is it the <laughs> breakup between Anna Kendrick and uh, this dude? Brother, that's something I can so very much believe, though. It's like, here's Anna Kendrick. She's perfect, and she's willing to date you. Or here's this girl over here that's clearly damaged and won't give you the time of day. My mind would be like, I must have the one, the damaged one. Give her to me. (laughs) So he asks her out, and she says yes. So he has like a temporary moment of victory, but then she immediately just buries him in front of him, like buries him to his face. And it's like, yeah, we can invite everybody else, too. And I mean, (laughs) fellas, we've all been there, so respect, but what ends up playing out is so much more awkward than we could have anticipated. First of all, Lillian called him Chandler Jr. I guess he does kind of look like Matthew Perry, but (laughs) not quite as amusing, but then again, who is? Ends up going to the movies and everyone else bails out except for Jacob and this dude. So it's just her sitting in between these two guys that are pining for her affection. Uh, they go to see an action movie and the 
young Chandler gets a bit sick at the subject material and goes to throw up. And this leads to Jacob and Bella discussing their feelings and whatnot in the lobby. As the guy comes out, Jacob all of a sudden gets extremely hostile and talks about putting the guy in the hospital. And he's got that dog in him, man. He's a, his secret that he's always angry cap. There you go. <laughs> she grabs his arm and says, you're really hot. So right before this happens, you know, when they're having that conversation, when they're having it all out, Jacob, like, firmly plants his feet on the friend zone and says, I am happy to be here mm-hmm. <laughs> and I will wait forever. And I was like, no wonder this kid's going to end up being like an angry werewolf. <laughs> because- it also just gives Bella all the power. She's like, oh, I never have to take this guy seriously or respect <laughs> him ever again. <laughs> it is, in a way, the werewolf thing. Is it was a blessing in disguise for Jacob because he made him an interesting guy. <laughs> yeah, here he's when that just... happened. She was like, "Hmm." <laughs> so he can kill me. He's suddenly so much hotter. <laughs> well, I've got loads of time. I'm not going to give up. I don't want you to. So she notices Jacob's not returning her calls. He's changed. There's definitely something going on. She's just like wandering in the woods one day, and then. Uh, is it Laurel? Lauren? One of the bad guys from the first one. Uh, Laurent, I think. He's French. <laughs> I think it's Laurent. Yeah. I gotta tell you, out of everybody in the first movie that was not a regular, I was not expecting to see him again. That was kind of a deep cut for a franchise that was only two episodes in. Laurent, yes, good call. Uh, Victoria's vampire companion, because Victoria is obviously still on the hunt as we left off at the first Twilight for Bella. So he shows back up. You know, he had the little truce with the Cullens, but he realizes now she's by herself and kind of defenseless. So these big fucking wolves show up (laughs) to attack. And, you know, Bella runs home and says, you know, it's not a bear you're looking for. It's these big wolves. And one of the tribesmen is there with her dad. And it's just like, are you sure about that? Because <laughs> uh, he, he knows what's going on. We yep. see him later on. He covers up the tracks and everything. So uh, it's wolves they're looking for. Uh, and, you know, in a panic, she kind of goes over to Jacob's place and sees that, uh, one, it's raining. So his chiseled body is dripping wet. Uh, <laughs> he's got a new tattoo. <laughs> he cut his hair off. It's not that god-awful wig anymore. And... You know, he's become something and he tells Bella, you know, we can't be friends anymore. It's not you. It's me. You know, there's there's a problem here. And of course, she doesn't believe him. And then she gets confronted by his posse. And basically, eventually what happens is he comes to save her and becomes a wolf. He like animorphs and his clothes rip off. And she rightfully is like, I've this has happened twice now. I've fallen for (laughs) two universal monsters in the span of one year. I can't wait to see what happens next. Exactly. It's like a little skirmish. It's like two dogs playing with each other. And when it's done, though, one of the side wolves, when they turn back to humans, he has a really Brandon Curtis line where he says, well, I guess the wolves out of the bag. Yep. (laughs) Um, So this answered the question that you had posed when we talked about the first movie, which was uh, how exactly is the, the werewolfing happening? Because you knew that he was going to become a werewolf. We both did. Uh, but we didn't know exactly how. And the answer is he he kind of hulks himself through it, right? Uh, like, uh, mm-hmm. well, smart Hulk. Like, he can control it. And, I mean, I think that considering that this is a movie from, you know, more than 10 years ago, it looks fine. It looks decent. I mean, we've seen a lot worse werewolves in our lives. Like, this is not practical, yeah. Alex. But I, I, I think that this does the job. Yeah. I mean, it's... It knows its audience. It makes these wolves look fucking massive and really intense, but they do have really pretty eyes still. So, you know, it does. It checks all the boxes for what they need. Yeah, they, they're beautiful. <laughs> Just to, to reference something that uh, Bella tells Jacob at some point, she told Edward that he was beautiful too, right? In the first one, when, he's, when he first sparkles mm-hmm. for the first time. Um, I appreciate the consistency. That's her go-to when she becomes smitten with someone. She tells them they're beautiful. That's it's not just that she's attracted to bad boys, to to dangerous creatures, but also that she finds them gorgeous, and she's not afraid to tell them. When he's tearing up, you're sort of beautiful. 
we get a montage of Victoria on the hunt. She's coming back to get Bella, but we learn that the wolves are doing their job to keep her out. Uh, you know, cause she's, she feasts on humans and that's something they don't tolerate. We eventually learn their truce with the Collins relies on the fact that they don't feed on humans. Uh, but it's, you know, Victoria is back, but she can't really make much progress. This is the, the she's the redhead that eventually is replaced by Bryce Dallas Howard yes. in, in the franchise. So I assume when they give Victoria speaking lines, that's when we'll be seeing BDH. Um, <laughs> you know, we learn a bit more about the the wolves and the tribe. We see one of their fiancés has a big scar on her face from a time where, you know, the guy wasn't able to keep his anger under control. Um, she learns about the cliff diving through the tribe and goes off and does that on her own to, you know, the ultimate rush, despite Edward's ghost, you know, uh, or memory, what have <laughs> you just asking her not to, it's more of just, you know, building the relationship with Jacob. Um, but the, the scar situation and just, you know, what he's learning has become, he tells her, you know, I can't give you what you want or what you need because, you know, I, it's exactly what Edward tells her. He's like, I don't know if I can control myself and I never want to hurt you. So she can't have the one she loves or the backup. Like she <laughs> talk Is about just her? <laughs> picking, <laughs> picking the wrong types. I mean, I guess it's good that they don't outright want to abuse her. Cause there's a lot of people, you know, that uh, don't believe they deserve love and pick the people that will abuse them. In this case, she's trying to get love. She just can't. So I guess she's got to go sack up with young Chandler or something. <laughs> I, I, I will, this is something that I really appreciate in the movie. Is, uh, you know, we had our problems with the depiction of Edward and how he handled the, his courting, so to speak, of, of Bella when we watched the first movie. And I, I like that this movie, within the first 30 minutes, it allows Edward to, in a way, do the right thing. I mean, he's harsh in the way he works up with Bella, but this depiction of him... And him making this choice kind of goes a long way towards redeeming all the shitty things that he did in the first movie, because it's finally him being realistic about what's happening. And I completely understand and sympathize with that point of view, right? Uh, him thinking that this is not good for this person that is not a vampire. Yeah, that's that's a good. You know, it wasn't a it wasn't a mind trick. It wasn't like what he's doing in the first movie. Where he's like, stay away from me. But really, no. No, here it's like, no, we're breaking up, and I'm moving. I'm, I'm disappearing from your life mm -hmm. forever. So that's that was good. And then here, Jacob. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a shithead, and and he proves to be even worse by the end of the movie. But he tries at least a little bit to to like you said to put some sort of boundaries. And even then, like something else that kind of retroactively made him a little better was that in this movie, like I realized that he didn't know, like, uh, you know, when we're watching the first movie, I thought that he already knew that he was a werewolf and that he knew that the Collins were vampires and whatever. But if I understood correctly in this movie, he's finding out for the first time when, you know, when he started getting hot flushes and, and, you know, when he when he cuts cuts his hair and everything, it's just that's part of like him hitting puberty, and that's when he learns all the secrets. So to find out that he was kind of like a pawn in the way that Bella was a pawn up to this point, that made him a little more sympathetic uh, in my eyes, and that that helped a lot because that dude needs you know <laughs> all the help that he can get if he's going to be around for three more movies. Alice returns. Uh, she saw the vision of Bella jumping off the cliff. So was obviously very concerned. She's happy to see her alive. Uh, Jacob's not too psyched to see her there as knows he, she's a Cullen. Uh, he's at the house though, you know, taking, he wants to take care of her. She, she doesn't need the vampires, that type of thing. Uh, they almost have their first kiss when her phone rings. And lo and behold, it's Edward <laughs> and fucking Jacob lies to him and implies that Bella was dead. So then we cut to, Edward in Italy and he like crumbles his phone with his bare hand. He's so devastated by this news. Uh, and now he wants to die. He has no reason to live. So Bella's like, this is where it just shows how little she actually cares about Jacob and how he was just always like number two, the backup. Cause she's just like, well, we have to go right now to Italy. And so Alice is going to, I guess, drive her to Italy and they storm out and Jacob's like, no, don't go. You need to stay here. I'm begging you stay here for me. And she's just like, no, she's like, move <laughs> I will. out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Get out of the way or get run over. He takes and, his shirt off. Nothing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and it's the thing of like, 
all right, it's me or him, him. It's just, <laughs> she has no, there's no pause or trepidation in her tone at all. Bella, what is that god-awful wet dog smell? So Alice and Bella end up in Italy to stop Edward from either ki- giving himself to the Voltori or, you know, anything drastic because, you know, he wants to die. Like I said, that's his plan now. I don't know why, but I just lost my fucking mind. Ashley Green's outfit here. Yep. She looks like, <laughs> you know, a 1940s, 50s getaway movie, like it, Bonnie and Clyde type outfit with the scarf on her head and her driving gloves and her glasses. Yep. It's just like, come on, man. She belongs in Baby Driver. In a better movie. She's in a better movie here. So it's uh, San Marcos. What's the festival they're doing? San Volturi. Yeah, I can't remember the festival that's going on, but everyone's like in red robes. It's like Da Vinci Code shit. I was waiting to find the albino monk with the 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 pain. Stri- what's that fucking? <laughs> but they get there. Bella saves the day uh, because I believe Edward's plan was he was going to reveal himself to the world. Because then they would have to kill him, right? Right, because Martin Sheen wouldn't kill him just when he first said, hey, I'm heartbroken. He's too powerful. Yeah, Yeah. he's like, no, that would be a shame to waste your talents that way. And so Edward's going to, yeah, force their hand because that's one of the rules that, you know, if if a vampire exposes himself to the world, then they have to kill him. And and Bella does like an impressive Mission Impossible Tom Cruise run across the plaza. That, it's the, it's, um, it's pretty much, the only thing that was missing from this is, she should have been wearing a hat in an Indiana Jones style, you know, reach back into the sun to get the hat right before it hits it. <laughs> to put it on on Jacob on Edward's face. Yes. Covering his face so they don't know who he is. Uh yeah, that was that was cool. That was like, you know, there's the slow-mo, the the suspense, and the and just the joy at seeing uh Robert Pattinson return to the movie <laughs> after spending an hour, an hour and twenty minutes with Jacob. It's like, oh, finally, back to the relationship we care about. So she saves the day, but they're still summoned to R.O. Wesley Snipes. The, back to the temple where he is, says they've kind of learned that they're hip to his plight here, and they know Bella's with them. And this is where we get Dakota Fanning. I'm assuming she becomes a more pronounced character the more we go into these. There's a lot of shit going on, so I think there's definitely the need for three movies to. She's pretty powerful flush it all out oh yeah very but what they come to find out is that their powers are useless against bella they can't do shit what is that your powers are your firearms are useless against them (laughs) tommy boy is what i was thinking of Uh, it just leads to this chaotic scene where they you know edward's worried they're gonna kill bella and uh, he's trying to protect her they're eventually gonna kill him for you know just inconveniencing them the big hired gun there gets into a big scuffle with uh, edward I, I thought it was pretty cool he slams him so hard at one point his skin starts to crack because yeah. you know they're Kicks like porcelain ass. yeah oh yeah edward does not hold his own in this it th- i was watching this thinking well things ain't looking so bad for jacob now he might be able to beat the shit out this dude so we'll see <laughs> uh th- were you disappointed that alice didn't really get into a true fight like i thought she was gonna join in but then they they hold her and that's it she's supposed to be like an x-man like she she can read minds and shit (laughs) she should be able to do gene gray stuff it's ridiculous she's too bubbly to be violent to prevent the voltori from killing edward because at this point it's all on the basis that he spilled the beans for the second time this week in our recording, he spilled the beans with Bella and she knows everything about the vampire life. And she puts a stop to it and says, what if I become a vampire? And they're like, nah, that's going to be too much of a problem. But then Alice says, well, I, I already see it. I, I, I've seen it. It, it. it is to be. And we get like this quick vision. Of, I actually kind of popped for it of Bella and edward just kind of frolicking in the forest and then when she comes into the sunlight you see her skin twinkle and i was like oh hey see it's it's the chainsaw (laughs) but you could have chosen a different chainsaw you know you could have chosen like a chainsaw when it's like cutting through people they could have shown like the bloody side of being a vampire or her just oh i know that's what i'm hoping like comes in the next one (laughs) like the visions of you know like uh the matrix the how zion seems so promising and then it just shows like in decay and oh you think that the next one's gonna be uh the colon's going like oh we gotta put her down 
<laughs> yeah, gonna- <laughs> like something like she's going to become too powerful, too bloodthirsty. And Jacob's going to defend her because he's like, it, who knows, man? But yeah, they like there's a premonition in the future where she's just this abusive wife to Edward and <laughs> the you know, Bella. I think you've had enough. I'll tell you when I've had enough. <laughs> Backhand. The entire time, Charlie, completely unaware of what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't realize that his daughter's not aging. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I, I've come across some dads in my day that, that were de- that delusional, so I'd buy it. Um, so, so Michael Sheen's power, uh, this is how they confirm that. Alice is not just lying to get themselves to get them all out of this bind. He, his power is that he can touch your hand and then he he sees your entire life. He sees everything you've experienced up to this point, right? I think that's what he says. And then of course when they he say he can say he can read every thought you've ever had, which is like, God damn, I hope no one can ever do that with my mind. <laughs> yeah. He's a he's a Hunter Biden's laptop. <laughs> Zing. Relevant. Uh, it's like, like the one laugh our Republican listeners are gonna get. Uh, Wesley Snipes has some good line about like, it's so fascinating to see what you see that hasn't yet happened. I don't know. It, <laughs> yeah. He's having a lot of fun. Exactly for a guy like that who could have just paychecked this, he's obviously having a good time. Uh, but we go back to Forks. Edward is back. They're gonna try to make this work. Uh, the Collins vote her in as a vampire. Dude, that uh, was that might be my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> I did laugh when uh, Jasper's like, "I'm down," or like, "Yes, my vote is yes." It'll be nice not to want to kill you. Yeah, I like that. Uh, the one, the one vote against the one nay, other than Edward, was uh, what's her name, Rosalie. But even then, she was like, "But the reason Listen. for it is valid." She's like, "This I wouldn't yeah, have chosen this life for me." It's one of the best lines in the movie, which is like, I wish somebody had voted no for me. Yeah. <laughs> she was the biggest bitch in the first movie. <laughs> and now suddenly she's the more sympathetic out of all of it towards towards uh, Bella. She's doing it for her own good. <laughs> it was That was pretty sweet. But then Edward just being all teenage uh, angsty with, with uh, Mike Dexter. It's like, I can't believe you're doing this. Yeah. I won't lose my son. So Bella and Edward go for a drive. They come across Jacob who's just standing shirtless in the middle of the road. And (laughs) he says he won't let Bella do it, you know. You're not going to be one of them, Bella. It's not up to you. She makes, you know, my body, my choice type thing. But he just, he can't let her do this. He wants to protect her. And he blames Edward for it. He does say, though, if she makes this choice, it'll break the truce that the... The, uh, the wolves that the reservation has with the Cullens. So this obviously creates a rift, uh, leads to like a, a tease. It's like the go home before a pay-per-view where you think the two main guys are going to throw down, but it's just kind of a tease to lead into the pay-per-view or in this case, the next film. Yeah, yeah. They just uh, they just got promos on each other, but they don't really get in the ring in this one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Jacob goes away. He gives one last longing look at Bella. He wonder, retreats back into the woods. Doubling down on being an asshole. That was his journey, <laughs> this movie. Because, <laughs> you know, he could have apologized just for how he acted before she left for, you know, before she went to Italy. But it's, she, he comes back being even more possessive. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Also confirming that he's just a bitch and isn't going to do anything. And she's just like, yeah, you better run. I'll come back to you when I have the, <laughs> the chance. She does like, she tells him, I love you. She's just playing these fools, man. But as we close I mean, before it's we. It's not a, it, all things considered, it's not a bad strategy. You, you want to make sure that you're good with the two monsters that could kill you at any moment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Not a bad strategy at all. Uh, but before we go to the credits, before the moon sets, <laughs> before the sun rises, we get the last moment of Edward saying, if we're going to do this, then it means you're with me forever. And there's one condition I have. And she's like, what is it? And he says, marry me, Bella. And then she just huh, like has a deep sigh. I was in one of the theaters the midnight we had of this for that ending and people 
lost their fucking minds when that happened. And it was one of those things of like, I don't know anything about this, so I don't get the context. But based on this reaction, this this seems to be something of significance. Because I remember it was just like screaming and then applauding in the theater. Uh, so that's what takes us out. I do appreciate that they don't beat you over the head with, hey, there's another movie coming. Because I think if it's a member of the movie going public, you're not a fucking idiot need to be told that. You can pretty much deduce when a movie ends on a cliffhanger or not. You know, you know, it doesn't end with the with the proposal. You need to see the wedding. Exactly. So that has moved us deeper into the Twilight franchise, Julio. I guess, Alex, we've made it pretty clear now that we are Team Edward. <laughs> oh, yeah. Easily. Well, I mean, there were there were some calls on Twitter asking us to uh, to commit, to tell people. And, and you know what? I, I'll say this. This could change. We have three movies ahead of us. Maybe Jacob does something extraordinary. And I was worried that uh, I was going to be, like, just biased because of how much I like Robert Pattinson as an actor and how much I think Taylor Lautner sucks. But, no, just based on, like, the movies so far and the story being told, I'm both in kayfabe and reality, a uh, Team Edward member. Yeah, that was probably the best thing about New Moon was that it it just confirmed how I felt about Jacob in the first movie. I look forward to uh, seeing Edward kick his ass in the next movie. Hopefully it'll make us wait till the very end. All right, ready to take this along to Real Talk? Uh, yes, since it's already slipping into Real Talk, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's go officially to Real Talk. Marry me, Bella. Oh. 